Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the honor of speaking with Vince Maltz. Vinny is the founder of Bloodline Hockey, a leader in the forefront of incorporating mindset development and sports performance training. His coaching is helping some of the most elite players in the world maintain a positive thought process, focused on enhancing their role and learning how to spend their valuable time wisely. Vince has coached the professional amateur level for over 20 years. His professional playing journey of 10 years began in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League for the Hull Olympic, where he was drafted for the Vancouver Canucks. After 10 years of playing minor pro hockey, Vince decided to follow his passion for coaching and mentoring players. He has coached at many levels of performance and has developed and placed players into the NHL, NCAA Division I and II, Canadian Hockey League, and the Canadian United, or United States Hockey League programs. He has helped to build some of the top-ranked teams in the country, including a Tier 1 national championship. But above all else, he is a dedicated husband and father. I'm honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Vince. Oh, thank you so much, buddy. And I apologize if that dinging in the back. Let's do it up. But that, thank you. So, that intro sounds so much like uh, my wife. <laughs> Doesn't sound a bit like me. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard that language before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go back um, a ton to growing up. Where did you grow up and, and how was life growing up? Yeah, uh, growing up was interesting. So grew up in Philadelphia, uh, was born and raised. Uh, so I was made in Italy, born in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I always love to find that out. <laughs> so my parents were, um, you know, immigrating over from Ukraine at the time. So I had, and then on their way over, you know, they had stopped. I think it was they were in Israel and Italy, all that stuff on the way over. And then they you know, found Philadelphia. I guess that's where a lot of people were coming over. So, uh, so your parents are first generation Italians. First generation Russian, Ukraine. Russian, Ukrainian. Okay. Ukrainian. Wow. Yeah, I know with Vince, I know the name. <clears throat> I actually got named by the doctor at the. So if my name should have actually been, if it was according to, so that my parents said, hey, what's a good V name? Because I got named after my grandfather and his name was Vorma, right? So basically, you know, they said, doctor, what's a good V name? And he goes, oh, Vincent. And, but really, it should have been Vladimir. <laughs> 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 so literally they're like oh what's a good me name and we don't know how to like say Volva in english but it's, it turns out it's actually vladimir so it's funny so literally i got named by a doctor <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was pretty interesting you know I, I grew up in philadelphia it was um childhood was fascinating right you want to talk about like identity uh identity overload it was uh it was a fascinating upbringing of coming up where i literally had three different names growing up so it was pretty mm -hmm. crazy 
Yeah, like so at home, I was Warba. You know, during the day at hockey, whatever it is, or in the street, I was Vinny. Um, and then at school, I was Yastra. So it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Like I literally, because I, you know, I ended up going to an Orthodox uh, Jewish school because at the time, I guess the way it kind of worked out was there was a free program for immigrant kids and stuff like that. And so my parents put me into this you know, Orthodox Jewish school. I'm in there, so it's straight up intense spirituality and all that stuff. But talk about different worlds of during the daytime, you're in the most holy place of holy. And then at night, you're in the street or you're at hockey. And hockey is just like, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> so, it's like, so it was just like pure craziness. And then on top of the Russian culture, on top of it, where you had family members who literally aren't speaking a lick of English. So there was this, it was pretty, it was really interesting on, on so many fronts. It was a really fascinating uh, upbringing. When I can look back now, laugh at certain things, learn from certain things. It was, it was a really unique, uh, unique experience. So your mother and father were Russian. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, Ukraine, Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Yeah. Okay, and so then they had moved to, they came over because why? They wanted to find another. A new so I guess it was in 78 when they were telling all the Jewish people in Russia, get out. Okay. I think that was basically the idea was when they were saying, hey, you're out. They took advantage and my grandfather and the family was just like, okay, here's our chance, get out. Because um, I guess in, in Russia at the time, Judaism and all that stuff was just, you know, it's like a big no-no. Right. Because it's um, I know in Russia, it's huge with uh, the Orthodox Church and all that stuff. So it was basically like, all right, Jewish people out. And so there was the window. And so when the window came, they were like, all right, we're out of here. And so on they went. They took the risk and said, OK, let's let's go. So you came they came over here. They didn't speak English. Nope. So have no, you no have you ever sat down and chatted with your dad or your mom about that experience? Or is it sort of a faux pas to talk about what it was like to to come here it's, in the it, world. So to yeah, we, we've, yeah, we've never sat and like actually talked about, but it's definitely something I'd love to sit and pick their brains on. It's funny, you know how life goes by and we, there's, coming up, they were very young, right? They were 16 and 17 when they had me. Well, so I almost kind of look at our relationship as almost like it was more friends than parent-child relationship mm -hmm. because they were figuring out life at the same time that I was basically, okay, here, I've, I've got to figure it out too. You know, I pretty much got raised by my grandparents was a lot of really the upbringing. Right. So it was so at the time, we never really got into a lot of that stuff. We haven't had you know, a ton of those type of discussions, but that's mm -hmm. actually a great topic that I'd love to actually chat with them about. Talk about the challenges of this sort of what are, this hodgepodge of multiculturalism that you grew up with. So you have a Ukrainian background, parents who don't speak English, you're Jewish. Um, which is has always been a challenging faith to some degree in the world uh, for, for various reasons, and then you have this little Italian name. So, <laughs> what was that? and then you have these different names going to school. I'm a total mutt. <laughs> did you did you feel like a mutt growing up, or did you feel like you knew oh big time? Oh yeah. no, no big time because you know when I go to school, I was looked down upon, right? Because I'm not religious. They knew that, right? They knew at home, he doesn't practice. Mm. So at school, here I am in this Orthodox school where I'm looked at as an outcast, right? It's like, you're not one of us. And I felt it, you know, I knew it because it was like, yeah, I'm not, we don't practice at home. Even though the irony now, my parents are actually Orthodox. And so that's, they've, they've taken on about seven years ago. So it's fascinating how at that time though, growing up, yeah, I wasn't into it at all. So going to school, there was always that awkwardness that 
I'm not a part of it, right? So I, I felt it from the rabbis and, you know, mostly like most of the time from teachers were pretty cool, like afternoon wise. So in the morning it was all, you'd work with the rabbis and also you'd do all the religious stuff. So it was literally like two, three hours of that. And then in the afternoon it was, you know, your English, science, history, your math, your basic core, you know, subjects. So I didn't feel it so much afternoon wise, but, you know, with the teachers, but morning wise with the rabbis, yeah, you definitely felt it of that I was so different. So I felt that weirdness, you know, and then at hockey, and then at hockey, it was interesting where a lot of it, you know, at times I would feel the fact that, you know, being Russian, being Jewish, it was interesting of how on that end I was on the outs. So like, I feel on some teams, it, it, it depended on which team I was. My dad was the, the, my dad was the original crazy parent, right? He, he couldn't, he couldn't just, if, if a coach was, not doing something, he couldn't help himself. <laughs> and so I know looking back now, it made things challenging for me, but it made me better in the long run. It's, it's what produced what I am today. But at the time, definitely it made it challenging where, and I think it was a combination of cultural and, and the way his behavior, I think it was just kind of like the perfect storm. But I would hear, you know, like Kike and Jewish piece of shit, commie bastard, stinky Russian. You know, I, I go through that with teams because the other side on top of it was I was also one of the younger guys always on the team because of my birthday being mm-hmm. on November 30th. So I grew up as I was in, involved in where I was the youngest guy always out there coming up. And so I had all these different things just aligned against right on that end. And then culturally, then at home, you know, or during the daytime, then I get dropped off from school and I'd be on the street until my parents would come home. So it was like just a crazy mix of, and then when you're on the street, you know, it's just different. Like the street is the street. Like you're getting, it's just, you're figuring things out. You're seeing things, you're, you're figuring out for yourself and all that. So it was the Philly part the, that, you know, that taught me a lot as well. So it was, it, it was fascinating to go through those different challenges. It took longer organically to reach where I needed to come, but the adversity, the education of, trying to understand the spirituality part the the cultural first generation part of what it means to be American. But then on top of it, the street part of the hockey being raised in that it was, uh, it allowed my energy to stay focused on something because if I didn't have it, I could have definitely, definitely been screwed in the Philly part, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a fascinating, fascinating. Um, when I look back, it's, I definitely have to like write a book on it because it was just insane of, all the different worlds that collided and just Mm -hmm. figuring yourself out was next to impossible when I was younger. It was wild. The hockey piece. um, And I want to sort of thread through some of these different things with you, but the hockey piece is interesting in the sense that your father comes from a country that in 78, that is basically starting to, to beat the, the NHL guys and the Russians are known now for their hockey program and stuff. Is your dad in touch with that when he comes over? And is that why you get into hockey? Because your father has a little bit of a link to hockey? Or is, is that all just happenstance and you get into hockey? Yeah, it happened. So it was basically, so how I initially actually got into hockey was, you know, when I was younger, I'd work with my father in the offseason, like when school was done and all that. I'd go work with him at the body shop that he had owned at the time. And so I was about, what, six years old at the time. And one of his buddies that he was working with at the body shop just comes over and says, with his energy, he's like, he's got to play hockey. Like he's, that's that kind of energy, man. That's you got to put him into hockey. So that's how initially it started. Um, but then from a Russian cultural, that Ukrainian cultural background, it was definitely very much 
sport was everything, mm-hmm. right? Like sport leads to all kinds of opportunities. And you still see it a lot in the Russian culture, Ukraine culture, like people, they just, it, it's a cultural thing of, yes, yeah, sport can lead to so much. So there was that part that was definitely ingrained in him where I felt as the years progressed, you definitely could sense a lot of, he would say, you know, sports, everything, sports, everything. And he'd get into it with, you know, with Marissa, with my wife, you know, at times, like when we had met later on, it's a sport, everything, sport is everything. It's so you could tell it was just ingrained in him of unconsciously of, yes, I truly believe sport is everything. And so hockey became that avenue of where, yes, this is what's going to lead, develop you in life. And that's what's most important. So I think it was just a combination of, it was Buddy saying that, and then, yes, sports, here we go, and let's go. So. But was there also, was it, I mean, I'm just curious, was there any, this relationship with your father and you getting into hockey, did he, were you rooted or connected somehow to that Soviet hockey phenomena, or did you become an American hockey guy who loved American hockey, is kind of my question in some sense. Did, what, yeah, so, what was your relationship to that, or do you have a relationship to that? Yeah, yeah, so great, great question. Love it. Love that you're good. we're going there. <laughs> so I, I was actually, so I came over, I was American, right? Like I didn't have that relationship initially. But then because my father was Russian, all right, the, the Russian community, there was coaches that had come over. And one of the coaches that was my biggest influence as a youth player was Mark Vershinen. And um, he had a huge influence on just the simplification of the game, the understanding how to train players, all that stuff from a performance standpoint. And going through his schooling was definitely huge. And that he was a Russian coach and He's your typical old school kind of way of doing it, but he knew how to bring the new school together as well in terms of how to make it fun, how to make it challenging, how to, uh, co- who to put together competitively. Like he was a genius. I mean, he was an absolute genius when it came to simplicity. And so I learned a ton from him. He had developed me. I can flat out say from like, you know, I met him about 12 years old on and I trained him every summer. Anytime there was ice time, I'd go out, get get on the ice with him until, you know, I was done playing in, in my 20s. So it was uh, that that was my rooted, you know, schooling definitely came from where my, my expansion of the game and knowledge and going, OK, this is how you truly train it. This is how you really develop it at the source came from the Russian influence. Mm. So it's a fascinating how coming over here. But then I met my Russian influence here and it actually was my biggest influence in terms of what I took away from performance standpoint in the game. So who were your, your hockey heroes growing up then? Were, were you uh, attracted to Russian players in the league or were you, were you attracted to a, a style of player? When you yeah, style hockey? of player. So Bobby Clark was one of the first guys of just, you know, that just old, like old school, tough, in your face, can do it all kind of thing. And I wore number 16 forever, right? I was, uh, I love the number. And every time I couldn't get it, I get so mad. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God, that's it if I don't get 16. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, it was a funny thing of like, you know, just love the number, love how he played, right? And then it was kind of funny growing up then, I fell in love with, it's kind of a weird thing for a guy my size and all that stuff, but Theo Fleury. Mm. I loved his style. I'll, I'll never forget as a young man watching him, and I think it was against Chris Terrian. I'll never forget going to a Flyers game in you know, Calgary and they're playing. And I just remember him coming up the ice one of the times and here's Tarion like towering over him and he looks down at him and he kind of gives him a shot. And all, all you see is Flurry come down up back up the ice and literally just keeps jumping up and punching him in the back of the head. And Tarion's literally <laughs> doing nothing coming up the ice. 
but he just like keeps being just a rat in his face and just coming at him. And I think it was at the time, the reason I loved him so much probably on that end is because I was always one of the youngest guys because of the birthday thing of like, that's a real, like as an outlier, I can truly attest to it's a real thing all those years. And so I think it was always being the smaller, the underdog guy that I just loved. I fell in love with his style of play and how he just didn't give a shit. And he just would go at you. And I, you know, I just, I love that part of it of where he beat the odds, right. Of where with his size at the time, when it was a game of giants, he was, I was just as big of a giant with his size. And he played that giant game on top of his skill set and all that. Right. He wasn't like a smaller guy who didn't have the skills. He had the skills, but then he'd back it up and get in your face and say, I'll kill you. Mm. So I thought that was fascinating about his spirit that he could just be that strong and, and go after it. You know? So when you were a little, little, when you were a Bantam, you know, kid was, was your dream to play in the NHL or did you have oh, dreams? Yeah. Always, always. Oh, yeah. I just, it was always, it's funny. I've got a funny, uh, somewhere we've got the video of a bar mitzvah video of where literally my dad's like, you know, wishing me good luck and all that stuff. And I'm just like jumping up and down, like a little like <laughs> rat jumping on. I go, and one day I'm going to play in the NHL. And one day I'm going to play in the NHL. And I'm like 13 at the time. And he's like, yes, yes, we will see. Uh, maybe, maybe one day. play <laughs> at that time, that's given it to me. But it was great where, yeah, it was always in me of, once I found hockey, it was definitely like, it was, you can't explain it. But there was something, obviously, to now what I do. And so I had a, there was that just instant attachment of, you know how you just find your thing? And I was fortunate to find it when I was six. You just find your thing that you're, like, obsessed with and, like, that's your thing. When I found hockey, it was like, that was just my thing. I just – I loved it more than anything. It was, it was what kept me directed. It's what challenged me. It's what educated me. I just, I was all in. I wanted to know everything about it on every level of it. It wasn't just a game to me. It was life. It was straight up life. And it was, once I found it, it was just like, I found my universe. You know, was, was there an influential coach in your childhood that really um, helped you? Um, or did, did you, did you ever really link or connect with a coach in a way that was special when you, in your childhood before you got drafted? Yeah, definitely. Mark Vershin, hands down. It was, there was definitely a special with him. It was just, we understood each other in the realm of it. He looked at the game from a pure development standpoint. He, he just looked at it as how can I get the best out of you? Hmm. And how do I create the environment that's simple yet fun that forces you to do so many different parts of movement and thinking the mental part and gets, gets it out of you emotionally and, that was definitely my biggest influence of going through with him. He sparked that ability to understand how to educate in that sense. Mm. I always loved the game where I was the kid that played street hockey, roller hockey for hours. I'd come home and I would just play for hours. And one of the things that was interesting in, in how I grew up was I would always play against Mike and Dave Bonner. I played for five years when I was growing up in Philly and, so Mike was seven years older than me. Dave was uh, five years older than me. Mike would play goalie and Dave, I play against one-on-one. -on -one. So I attribute growing up. I, I didn't do lessons. I didn't do all that stuff. I attribute a lot of my training and development was the fact that I played against this guy that was much bigger, better than me. And just, I played against him for hours and hours and hours. And I truly believe that developed me so much of, and I beat him maybe two or three times a year. 
you know, I, and when I beat him, it was like winning the Stanley Cup. It was the greatest thing ever. But I had never been able to, like, he would usually win, right? Or it would be a tie and it would just be such a battle. And, and so doing that naturally, the environmental factors is what built me up. And I never understood it and realized it. And, but then meeting Mark is what like, oh, so this is how you teach it. This is how you express it in a way that's meaningful and that can actually connect with players that can actually help you learn that's, that is a method to the madness and all that stuff. So it was, uh, that was kind of like the interesting road there of, of how it came together for me. Did, did that influence you to be a more intellectual player in the way you played as you moved up? When I got older. Okay. Yeah. When I got older, for sure. Um, that was a part of the influence, but a, a big part of the influence of becoming more intellectual was probably after I had, definitely after I got drafted, I ended up the old story, you know, my ankle busted my ankle pretty badly, you know, went into the boards and literally it was like, I got my skate, my skate blade caught between the boards. So it was like literally, you know, like the crack in between the mm-hmm. ice and the board and my full blade literally went right into it, my left ankle and I, I, I lost my footing, went into the boards, and my whole body literally came up on it. So it just completely – I would have been better off breaking everything in there, but instead it just literally mangled everything in there. And mm-hmm. so because of that, I went from having this feeling inside of, wow, I've got such control of my body, and I know myself as a player and all that stuff where it was just – it was a natural thing that progressed and happened to after the injury, I spent years trying to figure out – Oh, it's my skating. It's my shot. I've got to work on this. I became so obsessed with the physical elements of it, of how to make those better that I lost sight and didn't realize the mental elements of how to actually perform and play the game to create and just make plays. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, that definitely forced me to become intellectual because, you know, it hurt me as a pro where I didn't understand the mindset piece. I didn't understand those things of, you're a professional now. If you want to be a professional, you've got to understand that you've got to know how to play the game. And so the intellectual side came out from the years of once I got the injury, being influenced when I was younger by Mark Simones and other coaches along the way, and then being influenced by some amazing coaches as a pro, that's what really got me like, okay. And then eventually it hit me of, oh my God, it's the, the performances make plays. That's what's missing. And so then I became obsessed with that. And, you know, here we are today. I want to come back to, you know, your, your viewpoints on coaching and the sport and all those kinds of things in a few minutes. What I want to just, I would be remiss if I don't take a moment of reflection on your, that moment in your journey when you did, you know, you played uh, pretty high level hockey and junior hockey. I think you played for Claude Julian, didn't you? Claude Julian. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So uh, we were, I worked with uh, Claude, but, um, and you get drafted. What's, what's dad like on draft day? What's dad and mom like on draft day? Was that something special for your family or was it something not so special? What was uh, it, was, it was incredible. I had never seen them smile more. Like, you know, how you just feel the aura, the energy, like I'll never forget that aura, that energy that day of how they just literally, they were like sparkling. It was just like, you could just see, it was like, everybody was just like floating. <laughs> and uh, you could just tell, like, I, I could still remember distinctly the look on their faces, my mom, how proud she was, how happy. Like, that was definitely probably one of the highlights and proudest moments. I could just feel their energy of like, wow. Like, they were definitely truly amazed. What was your draft year? 98. 
98. Yeah, that's my first yeah. year in the National Hockey League. So you got drafted awesome. uh, with uh, Roberto Luongo, I think. At the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have been at that draft. Interesting <laughs> <laughs> awesome. pathway. That's awesome. Connecting. So we don't have to go into all the deep darks of why, uh, you know, you obviously had this injury and things and it didn't work out in the National Hockey League. And then you go into uh, minor pro and you play for 10 years. Tell me about the process of, of, Call it the realization of um, I'm not going to play hockey professionally. I'm going to do something else and, and making a decision to go into coaching. How does that all come about for you? Yeah. So I initially, you know, I ended up having a season that was a pretty rough season. Um, you know, I was playing for the ice size of the time. And it was one of those things where I had given so much of myself and, and there was so much of the will part of where, you know, I played 79 of 80 games that season you know, I literally was just like, I thought I was doing everything right. Like, you know, I was hitting that, that point of my career where I was like, okay, I'm figuring things out. It's really coming together about, you know, the usual stuff where you really feel as an athlete, like it's coming together. And then there was that, that twist inside where the playoffs start that year. When the playoffs began, I ended up getting sat the first five games. No reason why coach wouldn't talk to me. wouldn't tell me why just, I'm benching you. And that was the beginning of where, what dawned on me at that time, and I'll never forget, it's funny, I just, I was a keynote at the USHL combine, I was telling the story of how, you know, I'm coming back from the practice, and this was maybe like the fourth, after the fourth or fifth game, and I'm coming back with my buddy Alex Kim, and we're in the car, he's driving, and I'll never forget how I just start shaking my head, and this is already what, I was like seven, eight years in, and I just remember like shaking my head and going like, it's nothing but a business. It's, this is, it's just nothing but a business. Like it's a, it's nothing but a business. And at the time, the way it hit me, you know, the label of what I had realized in that moment, it just, I realized it wasn't about playing the game anymore. And I always was doing it because I just, my intention of playing in the NHL was simple. I just wanted to play with the best. I, there was nothing else other than I wanted to be around the best. I wanted to be a part of that culture. I just, I was drawn to that. I want to be a part of that. And that's what I love the most about the game was playing amongst the best. Like what an opportunity, how awesome would that be and all that. Right. And so I was always internally fighting with that because in the minors, you're not always around the best. Like you're not around always the best coaches, the best players, the best people. It's just what it is. Right. There's a reason why it's the show. And, and even then, even at the show, it's not always the best, but the best is always relative. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was my driving force all the time. And then when I, when I realized it wasn't about playing the game at that time, when I realized there's more to it, that there's this business side to the game, that's when my spirit just kind of went, huh, I'm tired. And so after that, you know, I came back. Um, it was like a couple months later, I pulled my back out during summer training and I fought like crazy. And I just, I, I went so hard at like, all right, I got to get this figured out. I got to get this figured out. And I ended up pulling my back out. And so the whole summer, here I am getting ready to go to Milwaukee's camp. And, you know, the uh, admirals at the time, I think it's the admirals, right? And I'm getting ready for camp and I've got this injury and I'm, all right, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. There's an opportunity here. I'm better, all that stuff. But like, I'm trying to will my way through it with this back injury. So I get to camp, I go through camp. And as I'm going through camp, you know, I'm, I'm literally going, so they never knew this, but I'm literally going and doing prehab of two and a half hours before to stretch myself out because of my back. And then we would go skate. And after my skate, I was going and getting 
I was getting, whether it was like, I found this yoga person of like to stretch me out. I found this uh, acupuncture therapy person. I was literally going and doing like post uh, type of work, right? To like, just keep myself feeling loose the whole time. And they had no idea what was going on. So it, it was months that I was with this pain of training and feeling this pain inside of me, right? Of just working through it, going to camp. Well, at the time I have this agent who calls me and he hits me up and he goes, Hey, I, are you in the hotel room now? I'm like, yeah. He goes, are you sitting in there with somebody else? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you might want to leave the room and go to the bathroom or something, and get away from him. I'm like, okay, sure. So I go, I walk out and I go to the bathroom. I go sit in the bathroom and I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm like, okay, what's up, buddy? And he goes, they're going to sign you. And here I am like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So of course I'm in the bathroom and I'm just like fist pumping. Like I, my emotions erupted inside, right? Like, I'm just like, oh my God. And my back is in pain and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Finally, I'm going to get my shop. I bought all this stuff, right? And so I go in and uh, I come in the next day. And I, as I go in the next day, nothing, you know, like I come into the locker room, right? And I'm one of the last cuts. There's lot, I'm down to the last, it's the last three guys. So I'm thinking this is about to happen, right? Like, so I come in the next day, nothing. And I, and I leave, you know, I do practice all that stuff and I, and I leave and I'm like, okay, nothing. I come in the following day. And then here it is. The trainer says, Hey, coach wants to see you. So I'm like, here it is. Moment of truth. Finally, here we go. So I go in and at the time it was, you know, called Noel. And I go in and I sit in the room with him and I come in and he goes, Hey Vinny, uh, you had a great camp, but we're going to uh, send you back down to Rockford. And I'll just never forget how I was like speechless and like, it froze me where I, there was so much I wanted to say to him about what, like, are you effing kidding me? Like what? But it just like my whole, like, I'll never forget how I just was like, you know, how you just become frozen in time of like, you don't even know what to say other than, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like what is going on? And you just, you're processing at the same time. And I'm just looking at him and it, and it was like, I'm trying to tell him what I had just been told, but like, I couldn't, like, I'm just like, my back, my, like everything coming together in one moment where it was just like, I am so tired of this shit. And so I call the agent and I go, dude, they just sent me back to Rockford. Like what's going on? Let me, let me find out what's going on. Let me find out two hours later. Oh, so what happened was when I was on the phone with him, I lost connection, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know what, man, I got to go. And I literally just hung up. And that's where it kind of came that full circle of all those months from the time it hit me that it was a business to that moment, I just had enough. I was just between training and, and the rehab, prehab, doing all that stuff, you know, like just maintaining. And I just, I'm like, I need a break. I need mm -hmm. a break. And so, you know, I went back to ice hug, but then I right away got into it with the coach and it wasn't good. It wasn't healthy at all because it was, you know, he's like, he, he called it out after about four weeks of being pissed off at him and being an asshole to him and all that. And he goes, Vinny, I know you're still mad about the playoffs last year. And I'm just like, fucking right. I'm still mad about the play. Are you kidding me? So I lost it on him because I was able to get the energy out. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're damn right. I am. And, he, and you could tell he was just like, okay, I'm not going to piss him off right now. We don't need to get into a fight in the locker room. <laughs> Cause at the time he was squirrely, I was squirrely. And he just knew <laughs> let's not go down that road. And he just, maintain you know a calm tone and he was just like well i can trade you and let you go and i'm like yeah get rid of me then trade me and so you know he trades with Almire. i get to Almire, and i'm like okay i'm out this is this is a joke and so that's where i was like i need a break and a buddy of mine was down in florida 
And that's where I found coaching, where I got down there and I started to get into the coaching part. And that's where, you know, I, I started evolving athletes and I got into initially with the, you know, strictly conditioning piece. But where I got into it was the original why, right? Like I wanted players to understand, here's why you're squatting. Here's why we're doing push-up, core work, you know, all the basic stuff. But I was very much about the why. So I was doing mindset stuff of here's, you're doing this because it's going to make this better in the game. And so from there, I found my passion and, you know, my, my destiny, if you want to call it, of where going down there and just, I had that little piece of time when I got into it, I started coaching. I, I coached a, uh, a Bantam B team, a PBAA team. So that was a fascinating experience to go through in the different worlds of that. But going through that, you know, I coached for about a year and a half. Then I got the bug to go back and play again. And then when I went back and played, I quickly realized, what am I doing? <laughs> I just, it was like perfect. I'm like, I needed to, I did the coaching. I fell in love with it. I was like, dude, this is awesome. This is so me. This is natural. I love this part of the game. Like I found what I'm just, this is, this is where I belong. And then I went back and then it was like this piece of me that still wanted to explore the playing part. And it was just enough where, okay, I went and I'm like, yeah, this is me. I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Time to go full-time coaching. So let's talk about um, how the the synergy or the crossing of paths occurs where you connect with um, two people who have influenced both of us, Brian and Carrie. You start to learn about mindset and that becomes a, a playing piece um, in how you coach and now defines kind of your, your pathway. Um, yes. wh- how does that all go down? What, 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 what draws you to that? What are you, what are you struggling with in yourself that you're, you, you, you decide that this is something you need to explore and then how does it circle back into what you do as a coach? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was um, the first moment of where it, from a performance standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, I'll never forget how a couple of weeks into the process initially with, you know, Brian and Carrie, and they, that was when they were doing the free thinking renegades and stuff like that. One of the things I remember learning initially was about the unconscious. That was such a powerful moment for me when, when realizing that the average person spends 5% of their consciously versus 95% unconsciously. Something about that moment of learning that science hit me like a ton of bricks because what dawned on me at that time was it's not on purpose. No one's doing this on purpose. No one knows. No one knows. Like there's, you know, it, it, it hit me at the fabric of coaching and player development where I just had this epiphany of like, oh my God, it's, this is what it is. At the core of everything is the unconscious process. So the influence, the influential piece, right, of understanding that influencing perspective was definitely a big moment where it was like between that and the unconscious part of where realizing that, wow, all the things that I've been doing through the years, it's literally just been the influence of understanding it's been me and how I've been handling situations. And so I was always somebody that was, I loved education. I loved learning. So for me, it was a more natural thing to do that, to think, try to go deep. You know, I was always a student. I just wanted to learn and understand things to the nth degree, almost obsessively, right? Like not in a healthy way at times, in certain contexts, right? In some ways it was healthy, but in other ways it wasn't because it just, you can think yourself into oblivion if you want to. We, we know, right? It's, Thinking is very easy to do that. It's a mm-hmm. classic overthinking, right? So that piece to me where realizing that, you know what, there's things that you have inside where as a coach, as a, as a performer, the things that you experienced, there's a lot of stuff that now I, I realize, wow, it was the influence. 
So I understood. I came, I came to peace with my dad and all those years where I didn't have the influence growing up of how to be professional, how to understand the business side of things, how to understand what I was walking into because culturally, right. It was yeah, coming in first generation, you know, Russian and not understanding the American way not understanding business at that time, being a child themselves. What did they influence me? Right. To understand it. My, my grandfather, he always influenced, you know, hard work, hard work, hard work, which was great, but there was no, but how to work smart, how to understand this is how the game is played. This is how culturally things are. Right. So that was a huge piece to me in terms of, you know, accepting myself and realizing, okay, I grew up with a certain kind of influence. So it wasn't my fault of what happened at the time. But now that I know better, now it's my responsibility to undo all this stuff and to take responsibility completely of my actions and to figure out how do I then fit into this game and make the impact that I want to make. But as time went on and go to the mindset piece was on my own terms, Hmm. because that was one of the things that I realized was inside of the game, I still see to this day and you, I'm sure you see it too. NHL guys, division one guys, major junior guys, anyone who's involved at the higher levels are scared shitless of the organization, of their GMs, of their players. They still live with that fear. And that was the part to me where it's like, I'm done with putting myself in that position to live with that fear anymore. I'll live with the fear of that I created for myself because I chose to put myself in a position versus I'm living with that fear because you're controlling me because it's, you're the boss or whatever it is. And you think you're above me and the, the old school way. Right. And so that was, that was like the, the turning point for me where I realized going through the program and understanding is that I broke free from a system that doesn't allow you to be free. Mm. And it, it's the way it's designed. I completely understand why players are completely discombobulated and why why parents are the way they are, why players are the way they are, why coaches, owners, why everyone's acting the way they are is, is completely obvious. When you understand the unconscious and how it goes, and once you're in a system and that's just you're used to it and it's a habit, I totally understand that side of what's going on. But I refuse to play the game of it where environmentally, if I put myself in certain positions, I know what that's going to do to me spiritually. Hmm. And so I realized going through this process I want to still help, but I've got to take care of myself first on how I'm going to be able to help. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how it kind of came full circle of the mindset piece, understanding the performance at the core of it was you have to understand you first and what really drives your engine, what, what really matters to you. But you have to understand how you operate in order to do that, to create the environmental factors and in order to find the spiritual factors that are going to align to ignite you, to excite, to inspire you to want to do more inside of the industry and all that stuff. And that was what I went through and the epiphany that I had as I went through and seeing the little nook that we had seen, that was the part that ignited me was mm-hmm. the, the, the life skill. We all talk about the life skill. Everyone loves to point out the life skill part, but here I was sitting on and realized this is the life skill portion. This is how you teach it. We put under the umbrella of mindset and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, as I went through this process, I realized, no, it's, this is the life skill portion of it because the way I looked at, it, I think the NCAA had something similar to this, right. And where they talk about, like, I realized that not everyone is going to become a pro at hockey, but everyone is going to become a pro at life. And the irony is the same skills you're learning at the youth level to be a pro at hockey 
are the same skills you're going to need anyway to be a pro at whatever you do. Mm. So, but the system is designed to become a pro at hockey. It's looked at in that simplest form of it's about being a pro and dreaming. Don't you want to play in the NHL? 0.2%, 2% play. You know how hard it is. You know how hard you have to work, blah, blah, blah. We're taking the wrong path of, of how we're influencing youth coming up. And that was to me what I realized is to me it was we're putting such this pressure because I lived with that pressure. My dad was that guy. He put that pressure on. I was just fortunate and lucky that I had the street hockey and roller hockey to develop the love because I had so much play in my life. Mm. If I didn't have all those years of play and understanding of like, wow, I love the game. And I just had nothing but the pressure of my dad and all the craziness. No way would I have turned into what I turned into. It's because I had two different worlds going on at the same time. Mm. I had that outlet for hours. And that's what allowed me to realize what this kind of come to this realization for myself and be able to inspire and, you know, send a different message in the hockey world. Before I go on to your, your, your vision and where you're going with things and some of the questions I have around that, I will read you your purpose. So as I said at the beginning of this uh, thing, maybe before we got on, you and I, ironically, I do my thing from the day you were born book and you and I are Sagittarius threes. And so uh, this is my purpose and your purpose to use your courage, strength and perseverance to go beyond the limitations of the thoughts and ideas of those in power, creating your own unique beliefs to challenge the old and uplift the spirits of those you meet. Some men see things as they are and say, why I dream things that never were and say, why not? Sagittarius threes love a good fight. They seek out adversaries strong enough to challenge their souls. Without them, they don't reach their potential. The best way to use their energy is to pick a lofty goal, one that affords them the challenge they need to rise above their environment and know that only they determine their identity. Passionate and inspiring, they attract attention. They have great wit and charm, but their goals are more important than their relationships. Intimacy may be a problem because they love space and don't want love to hold them down. If they find loyal soulmates who allow them to be who they are, they can be faithful for a lifetime. If they are still fighting for freedom and individuality, closeness is not a thing they want. Different cultures in the past intrigue them. They take on too much responsibility and overburden themselves at work. Once they own their own strength, they won't misuse it. Once they find their path, they'll help others on theirs. Interesting. So right? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's amazing. That, yeah. that is amazing. I want to talk about your soulmate because I, you know, it, uh, in reference to that, you found this uh, wonderful spirit when you were young and, and you guys stayed together and, pro and probably through some very difficult times, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, what is, what is, why does it work with Marissa? What is, what is she, what is her yin to yang with you and how does she balance you? What is, what does this woman bring in your life that allows you to be the guy that you want to be? Yes. It's, it's, so the most interesting part of what you just said of the, the purpose part is the love connection, right? Is that I think what's amazing about her is that she inspires what love should be to like by seeing how she connects with our children, with other people, right? I, I like, she sets that example. She sets that tone for how to care, how to love and being able to see that. So th that's one of the things that I love about her is that she inspires and, and allows me to see, you know, that example of what that piece is, because naturally for me, I believe in love. I want it, but it's like, 
it's funny, right? Like, yeah, I am. I, I always say my first marriage was to the game. Like it was like that, that first thing was like, boom. But the, the other part too, that makes her so unique. And that's the other side that makes it work with me is that she allows me the freedom to be me. Like she accepts me for everything that I am. She understands who I am, you know, what I'm designed to be. And she's always very caring to that. Like she allows like, no, it's, it's funny, like the little things, right. That you'll see where at times I can tell where she can tell I'm frustrated about something. She's like, okay, I don't want to stress him out. I know he's been doing a lot of stuff. I'm going to let him be right now. So she knows when to push the buttons, but she also knows when to release and just go, okay, I'm going to let him be right now because I don't want to get that fire going. I'm just going to let him be right now. So she's got such a like great way of balancing that out. And by her being able to do that through the years, it's amazing what it's turned into now where now from, from a mindset perspective, I've learned how to stay calm and adjust to her and understand how to appreciate love more and how to do those things more. So it's been this, you know, full circle activity of seeing the example, coming back, messing up, coming back and realizing, okay, yep, here's, here's what love is. Here's somebody that truly cares about me that I know. Um, and that's, that's, what's been amazing because for me, I'm from a trust factor. I, I there's, there's only two ways in, right? There's either that I just, I can, I can sense about you that I feel you're a beautiful, open human being. Like I can just tell, right? Because it's like, whatever you want to call it, the streets, experience, life. You just, there's a sense that comes to me initially first. It can change later, but I always have that. But then the other side is that the depth of the relationship that we've known each other for so long, but at the same time, we've gone through so much together that you've shown me that you accept me for me and my craziness and my, my, whatever it is, my faults, my good things, my bad things on. And that to me is what makes her so unique and special is she's accepted me for everything that I am. And she allows me to be me for, and, and, and wants to cultivate and grow that. And she's along for that ride and she doesn't have to be, she doesn't have to be right. And that's, that's the part that's amazing is that to have somebody so unique like her to feel that love and attachment towards me shows me and tells me like, I'm one freaking lucky dude. <laughs> and it reminds me, you know, and it's, uh, it, it inspires me. And that, that's, uh, that's what makes her, well, she's, she's everything to me. Mm -hmm. she's everything. So you've been inspired uh, for the listener. I mean, I've known you for a few years now and you've been inspired by, you know, the things you've gone through in mindset learning. And now you're, your mission really is to to share that and empower young young players with with better tools to understand themselves and to understand where they're going. If I can sort of encapsulate, and, and I yeah. certainly want you to elaborate on that. But yeah. um, I'm cu curious when you elaborate on this because this has been an ex experiential process for me doing this podcast and listening to different people, and there seems to be. And I think I've, it's not the first time I've learned this or seen this, but there's, there's stages we go through in our lives and we, and they're, they're almost required um, pieces of learning experience that takes us to the next level to take us to the next level. So I'm curious now that you're taking this and you're going to a 16 year old mind or an 18 year old mind, and you're providing some of this thought mm -hmm. to, to sort of enlighten them, so to speak. 
Um, how do you do it so that it's received in a way that they don't think you're, you know, I don't know how to phrase the question, right, but that they're ready to listen to you tell them about your wisdom in a right. sense, and they can actually, they can actually execute on it. I'm really curious about how you're doing that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it, it took me years, right? Because from the get-go when I would do presentations or even, you know, when I was teaching the students, right? It was very much, there was two different worlds that collided. There was my coaching player development world where understanding systems and concepts, right, of driving to the net or how you stick handle the puck or how you shoot. There was that side of the world, right, where I had a mastery of that part of how to explain it. But then there was the mindset piece where it was like, okay, the seed in the soil and all these different analogies that you would use. And they'd look at you like, huh? Okay, I don't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's cool, coach. But let's, let's talk about how you're going to make me a better shooter. <laughs> so, so as time went on, what I realized was I had to wrap it in hockey tape. I had to connect the dots and, and bring it to them in their language. So a couple of things that from a hockey standpoint, like one of the first things that I had realized was, all right, so how do I kind of pull this together was from a mindset perspective was I started putting together. So like three, you know, concepts that we came up with were awareness. It's basically awareness is my defense. Language is my offense. Play is my game. So that was kind of like the initial structure of where things start off, where I wanted to show them like, okay, you play defense and offense in the game, correct? Yes. Okay. So think of awareness like your defense. You're going to have ideas from other coaches. You're going to have ideas from other people of what you should be doing. Scouts are going to tell you what to do, right? I might even at times tell you what to do. Parents are going to tell you, you should be doing this. Don't listen to this. What you need to be aware of is you've got to defend against the noise because you have a natural way of playing the game. And so that was where the, the, the little spot that I came into where you see more happening about self-awareness and you see people talking about and breathing and visualizing and you've got to be in tune with you and you've got to stick to your role and all of that. Where I took it just a little bit further, deeper down the rabbit hole was the unconscious piece of helping them understand the awareness piece is, well, what do you naturally do in the game, right? Like, let's not talk about all the things of what I believe you should do, what somebody else should believe. What do you instinctively just see happens in the game? So like, do you notice that you're carrying the puck on the right side of the ice and that's an opportunity to shoot? Like, do you feel that? When we look at video, when, when you're in the game, do you notice like you had four or five opportunities in that section of the ice and you never shoot? Have you been aware? Are you aware of that? Right? So mm. I took the part of understanding natural performance of, do you see you're in these positions? Are you aware that you're in these positions in the game where you could do so much more? And so that was the part that I wanted to extract was I build upon, are you aware that there's a natural way to playing this game that you don't have, it's, it can be effortless, but do you know you're in these positions that are high percentage plays that are high percentage performance targets, where if you just play around what you naturally do unconsciously, if you can build your framework around that, do you realize what kind of player you could become? Like, do you understand what that is of how much easier that's going to be for you? So I, I use the art of belief to get them to understand of the easiness, that it's not going to be as hard as you think by buying into it. And so I spend, I mean, there's some players, I'll literally spend a couple of years on, on convincing them of that. And that's one of the things, like, especially with the younger players, with the older players, it's easier. With the older players that are 16 plus, I'm probably looking at a turnaround of about three to six months. If I'm looking at younger, the players that come up when they're 12, 13, it could take a couple of years. 
I literally just had one of our 05s. It literally, it just dawned on him uh, 12 weeks ago. He just found his identity and realized, okay, this is how I need to play the game. And, that, and it took a couple, because he wanted to play like Johnny Gaudreau. You know, he's a big guy. He, he didn't want to buy into that. He had to be quick and in and out or powerful that he just had to keep the game simple and build from there. But now that he realized it, he's like, yeah, it's so much easier to play that way. Like, you're right. It's, and, and I didn't realize I could just keep being effective playing this way. So the awareness piece is so important for them to understand their natural instinctive identity on the ice. What do you do that just, that's a, because they're all high level players. They all know how to shoot. They all know how to pass. They don't know how to skate. So you've developed the fundamentals of how to, how to you know, be out there amongst these players. What players don't look at though is, but what do you do unconsciously? What do you do in the game? That's like, are you aware of that instinctively? You're doing things that if you just did more of this, that you're already doing, you're already doing it. If you can point that out to them, it's, it's amazing how they buy into that because eventually when they feel the easiness and they see it's producing for them and it's creating, it becomes like, wow, holy cow, this is so much easier. So that's, that's the first stage of the awareness is my defense because you're defending against years and years of influence that everyone's always telling you what to do. Instagram is giving you all these videos and there's so many how-to guides and there's so many things that are out there that are constantly, oh, I just need to do this, I need to do this. Coaches are doing it, everyone's doing it, right? They've got a shooting coach, they've got, they've got a stick handling coach, they've got a, a skating, they've, they've got every coach under the sun, but it's like, but who's bringing it together for you of, that's great, you're doing all these things, but who's consolidating it for you based off of you're gonna do this skating technique or you're gonna do the shooting because it fits what you naturally do in the game. Mm-hmm. It's nice to do all these things, but if you're working on a shot that you actually never use with your shooting coach, why are you working on that shot? That doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. You have to take the information and be aware of, coach, this is what I do, so let's build off of that. Mm-hmm. So that's where the language is. My offense comes in is then I help them build the language based off of that. So then I help them construct the direction because language is what produces the direction. Right now, now you develop the framework. So we, we build personal assessments on stuff. You know, we do journaling, we do all that stuff to help them understand how to use the words that are most productive to them to build off of what they identified is natural in their game. And so as they keep going down that concert and as they keep seeing those words and they keep refining and we address, we assess and address. And as they keep doing that, eventually they start to realize, wow, this is all I need to do. You know what? Get, uh, keep going wide. Might be something as simple as that, but to keep going wide in their context means three or four things. Right. They realize they've built they've built out through awareness and through the journaling that they know what that means. And so I help them build that construct around the language to produce the creative part of it. Right. Language is my offense. The offense is all about creation. So we build out the language piece and we and we keep building upon that. And that's where all that starts to come together. So now they see it's all hockey language, it's all understanding performance and all that. And that takes time, right? We know that in order to make it unconscious, it's it, oh that. And that it's amazing. Like I've got one funny story of one of my players that was in the USHL this year. We literally spent eight weeks, eight weeks on something as simple as stay wide. Don't cut to the middle. Stay wide. Don't cut to the middle. He literally was like, cause all he wanted to do was he wanted to keep cutting to the middle, but coach would lose his mind on him. Right. He's already a committed visual and committed player, you know, great player. Yeah. He's going to be a great player at the division one level. And all that. He's playing in the USHL great league. And here he is, he wants to do nothing but keep cutting to the middle. And in his mind, he literally did nothing but in his language, had to keep reminding himself over and over and over again for eight weeks. It was a part of our daily plays and all that stuff. 
he literally had it. Okay. Go wide, go wide, go wide. And he would, he would share with me. We would laugh about it. I was like, coach, it's crazy. All I keep hearing is coach is going to lose his mind on me. He's like, don't, don't go to the middle. He's going to bench you. You're going to be in the stands. Like I just, I would hear this as I'm doing it, but I knew I had to keep going wide. So it's crazy how something so simple was the piece that he needed to understand in his language, stay wide, stay wide, don't cut to the middle. And it just, it worked for him. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part where you help them understand that's mindset. That's setting your mind, right? I, mindset always gets squirrely, right? Because mindset sounds one way, but if you said, I'm, you're, I'm setting your mind to something, oh, okay, so you're setting your mind. Oh, that makes a little bit more sense. It's funny how the words, right? Language plays off, but, but that's the piece where language is my offense is what will produce that. And the final part is play is my game. The more you play with it, the more, you know, I always use the analogy of look at video games, right? The more you play, do you get better at it? Yes. Eventually, do you reach level 10? Yes. Does it take time to reach that? Yes. Well, it's the same thing with taking time to reach with what we've identified, awareness of my defense, language of my offense. Your coach tells you what the breakout is. Your coach tells you what the D-zone system is. Your coach tells you what the zone entries are. But do you are you able to do it right away in week one? No. Does it take six months to perfect it? Yes. Why do you think that is? So play is my game is where we wrap it up and help them understand how much time are you putting into that play? So if we've identified what you need to be aware of and we've built out the language to direct you and make sure you understand this is how you create it, well, now it's all about putting in time. It's how much are you willing to play the game, how deeply, how, how, how much fun are you having, and then that's what we build around with that is making sure that you got to keep playing because the more you play, eventually that's your game. That's how it becomes unconscious. It becomes natural and it feels good. And that's the cool part about our process is that when you finally realize it's not as difficult as you're making it because of what you think it has to be versus now, you know, Oh my God, I can't believe like, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe that I can do this. And that's the power that we've had with our transformations. I mean, it's nuts. We've had guys fourth line to first line, top score in the league, third line to first line. Like it's been amazing to see the cases of younger players that aren't being influenced to understand this piece of the performance is that, and, and I know you agree with this of the effortlessness of it. And that's the part that you see a lot of in today's world is that uh, yeah, I bring up the Instagram stuff of where what ignites me is that there's so much of this individualistic piece to the game. You just got to keep working on the individual stuff and keep making your hands better on Instagram. These guys are doing these drills where it's one minute holding on to the puck or 30 seconds and you're holding the puck going under stuff and all that stuff. And it's like, but in the game, you play with other people. You have to connect with other five other people on the ice, six with the goalie, right? There's, it's not a process as simple as by just going and doing this and I'm a better hockey player. That's just not the truth. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to actually play that process with those you play with. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that ignites me now. That's kind of how I've evolved inside this performance piece where I help the players understand how can I help? Don't, don't force the player to move the puck to me. I'm open. No, force the player to, hey, how can I help you make it easy for your teammate to make the play to you? And that's a shift in perspective that a lot of coaches don't talk about, but there's a lot of this individual, the individuality, but we don't attach the we to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's missing that you've, they've got to understand how can I articulate to my teammate that if I realize, hey, I'm going to always shoot from the top of the circle. Well, now it's your job to go tell your teammates, hey, you know, when I go here, I, I'm going to shoot. So you need to go to the net, right? Or go somewhere else because you know that's what I'm going to do instinctively. So now how are you communicating and articulating that to your teammate 
So now you guys can play off of each other and know this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. And that part is missing big time inside the team game, right? It's all about coach tells you what the system is and you follow the system. Instead of one of the things I always argue with coaches is what are you doing to give that autonomy? Like one of the things that I've completely changed in my coaching philosophy is guys, I'm going to tell you how to defend. I'm not going to tell you how to play offense. I'll give you general guidelines and ideas, but you guys are going to come up with your face-off plays, your zone entry plays uh, inside the zone. You, I, you guys have full autonomy. I'll give you ideas of what to think about, but I want you guys to hold each other accountable to come up with your own ideas. Come up with it because you guys are the ones that have to go through this on your own out there on the ice. I can't be a part of that. And so that piece to the coaching puzzle is missing big time because players from a performance standpoint to kind of pull it all together when play is my game, you have to connect. Not only is it about you knowing naturally what you do, but it's also influencing those you play with. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how it all comes together where they buy into it. Eventually they see like it's easier. This makes complete sense. And so that's been my evolution throughout this process to how to construct it in a way that has a method to the madness, but then how to get them to feel at ease and eventually buy into it and go, ah, okay, I get it. And so that's been the challenge and it's, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. It's amazing listening to you because I've been doing some uh, educational pieces recently, just getting into dynamic systems theory and stuff, which is around, you know, pieces around how we learn and, and how um, systems work and stuff. And, one of the things that um, is spoken about in learning is the concept of creativity that we learn through being creative. And one of our limitations in the way we educate people is we take away creativity. We teach them, we, we impose, this is what you have to know. And what you just spoke about for the last few minutes was essentially the concept of the coach taking away the op opportunity to create, therefore learn the game and ba basically implement you have to do. And you're spinning that on its head and, and being, you know, bringing back that creativity, which is very powerful. I'm unfortunately going to run out of battery soon, but we could probably talk for seven hours, but I want to, I want to finish this thing by just saying, you know, if you w were able to go back and talk to yourself back when you were 2021 with what you've learned now, what, what would be your, your guidance to, to Vinny when he was, you know, was sort of in that flux and that, in that uh, space of, of time where, you know, you, there was confusion. Acceptance. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is probably the biggest of how it kind of pulls together. Of like, you chose this path. You wanted to play at this level. And so you have to learn and accept what comes with it. And I think that's one of the things that, because, you know, the, the biggest part you see in today's game overall, right, is the people talk about accountability, adaptability, right, of, of those pieces of these kids aren't accountable today. And, and the adaptability piece is such a, you know, can you, do you have that skill? But the acceptance part to me was definitely where it began, where it was like, if I can look back and go, accept what you, accept that the coach has his own style and it's all good, right? It's don't judge, right? It's, you don't, the, the biggest part is you don't know his background, where he came from, that other player. Okay, yeah. Is he acting weird, shady? Is he kissing the coaches, but whatever it is? Accept him. Accept him for how he is. It's okay. There's no big deal. It's, um, you know, looking back, that would be the thing that, the judging part. Because, you know, it's, to me, it was back then, it was, I got so, he's a dick. He's not, like, it's just, you know, that judgment piece of it, this coach, 
He doesn't care about you. You know, all that stuff. It was just, it was such a waste of energy and a waste of time at that time where the judgment piece, you know, if it came together for me, it was definitely the acceptance of realizing like accept people for who they are, accept for yourself or how you are and accept for, accept the, the road you're choosing to go down. You're choosing to be in this environment and there's things that come with it. And you've got to accept your role. You've got to accept that this is a part of it. If you're going to be a part of this community, this team, organization, this is the way it goes. Mm-hmm. So that would probably be the big thing of to offset the judgment piece, I think, was a, a big part of it. Beautiful. Thanks for taking an hour with me, brother. It's been uh, beautiful. Really nice to hear. Uh, hear Thank you so much for having me on. Where you come from and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very grateful for this opportunity, brother. Awesome, buddy. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.